All right, welcome back, pool fans from across the country and around the world. You are listening to American Billiard Radio, and my name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. It is March the 30th, 2017, which means right now as we speak, the Super Billiards Expo is kicking off in all of its glory. All of the tournaments, all of the events, all of the vendors and booths, all of the pomp and circumstance right there under one roof at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center. So if you're not there already, just turn your car around and go head on out there to Pennsylvania because you don't want to miss it. It's going to be fantastic. Also, speaking of fantastic, today's show is pretty darn good as well. We're going to be talking to a veteran in the pool world, Mr. Okinawa Slim. And we're also going to talk with Miss Melinda Bailey down in Texas about what she has to uh, share for this week. So we'll be right back with Okinawa Slim right after this. Good day, all you listeners out there. This is Daniel Bush with this week's West Coast Pool Report for March 30th, 2017. In tournament news, last weekend, the West Coast proved to be strong and action-packed. The 48th Annual Terry Stonier Reunion Tournament, which took place on March 25th and 6th at the Jointed Queue in Sacramento, is a time-honored tradition for many players. With 76 players entered in the tournament, several players led the field. Vilmos Foldish and Sacramento's Tommy Soria took down players across the tournament to play each other in the finals. By name and reputation, Vilmos had the upper hand. The vault was packed with spectators rooting for the hometown favorite and underdog, Tommy, to win. In the true double elimination format, Tommy defeated Vilmos in the first set 6-5. Vilmos would not lay up here, though. Proving himself to be the stronger and higher skilled player, Vilmos won the second set 6-4. Congratulations, Vilmos Foldish. First place, the 48th annual Terry Stonier. In Las Vegas, another long-running tournament rounding out the weekend was the 27th annual Andy Mercer Memorial Tournament at the Rum Runner Lounge. With a $37,000 Calcutta, things were expected to be hot. The Dominguez duo, Ernesto and Oscar, had a strong showing this year, with Ernesto taking third place and Oscar taking the overall win at first. Oscar Dominguez played out the finals against Josh Roberts to take this year's title at the Andy Mercer Memorial Tournament. Congratulations to Oscar Dominguez. Upcoming tournaments to look out for. Also in Las Vegas, the Rum Runner is holding its 8th annual Women's Charity Nine Ball Challenge, which is a $1,000 added event and includes a huge raffle organized by Katie Moore, with proceeds going to the Safe Nest organization, whose mission is to provide a world where domestic violence is not tolerated. So far, the women's event have 58 entries, which is their largest field to date. Another tournament coming up this weekend is a three-cushion tournament in California. The California Classic three-cushion tournament is back on the map, this weekend after a three-year hiatus. The action starts tomorrow on March 31st through April 2nd to be hosted at Edgy's Billiards in Milpitas, California. Tournament organizers Susie Bangoy, Jose Lizarraga, and Alan Castillo are expected to see a field of 42 players competing in seven round-robin groups of six players each. The tournament boasts a $14,500 prize fund. 
Also in the three-cushion billiard spotlight, the USBA National Championships is just a few months away, and Hard Times Bellflower has announced that it'll be holding California's only qualifier for the Nationals. There will be a three-cushion takeover at Hard Times Billiards on May 6th and 7th. With six well-maintained Verhoeven tables, this qualifier should move along smoothly. $130 entry, one out of every five players will qualify for the Nationals at this event. And finally, if you like straight pool and you live in Arizona, be sure to dust off your cues and head down to Bull Shooters in Phoenix on April 1st for the Arizona Open 14-1 event. This 300-added divisional format tournament is a one-day event brought to you by Mike Urbanski. So best of luck to all you straight pool players. Keep your heads down and don't forget to follow through. And that wraps it up for this week's West Coast Pool Report. Be sure to tune in next week for an official update on the highly anticipated West Coast Swing events, which take place every summer, starting with the Cole Dixon Tournament in San Francisco. My name is Daniel Bush. Feel free to email me at daniel at povpool.com if you have something happening in the West. And as always, keep loving pool. Welcome back to American Billion Radio. This is the Legend and Champions Report. My name is Mark Cantrell. I will be a host. And I'm joined by, uh, as usual, uh, Mr. Dave Bond, Hello. the producer of the show. Howdy, howdy. How you doing, Dave? Doing well, Mark. How are you today? Good. Beautiful day in Arizona. And uh, also joined by one of those medical characters that you you hear the name, but you never really kind of uh, get to see or know too much more about him. Uh, but he has been nominated for the BCA Hall of Fame uh, for meritorious service. And that is Okinawa Slim. And he's joined us today. How you doing, Okinawa Slim? Hey, how you doing, Mark? Dave, how you doing? Good. And you, you've got uh, just a, a colorful past and a colorful history that spans a, a few different areas. Uh, it'd be military, charitable work, uh, the artistic pool. Uh, you know, you've, you've just been around. Uh, a bit. So, t- tell us where did where did it start for you with pool, so that people get to get to know what who they're voting for. I guess in the uh, um, Hall of Fame voting p- polls ballot, right? Well, you know, uh, I started playing pool when I was officially uh, seven years old. That's what they said in my father's pool hall in Sanford, Florida, small town, Sanford, Florida. Um, my father owned a bar, a restaurant, and a pool hall, and uh, it was one of those places where um, I wanted to learn how to play the game. I'd rather work at a pool hall than work in a restaurant. I wasn't old enough to work in a bar, so my father sold his bar, kept the restaurant, and the pool hall. So, you know, our punishment, if he did something wrong in the pool hall, he would send us to the restaurant to wash dishes, wash pots. <laughs> that was one of my punishments. You know, I said, wow. And um, I never tried to do anything wrong again. But that happened when I was about 10 years old, though, um, when I played my first money game at uh, 10 years old. It was about 25 cents. It was my father's money. And um, I lost the first game. I was playing a game of eight ball with somebody. And he told me to win that money back because my, my brother, my oldest brother, went and told on me. I was using my father's money uh, to gamble. 
Uh-oh. And that started my little career. Yeah, 20, 25 cents. I won the money back, and then my father said, I put the stick in the rack. My punishment was two weeks as working in our restaurant, um, and I had to wash pots. And I really, I don't use the word hate in my vocabulary, but I really hated washing dishes. <laughs> and I made it a point that um, I wanted to learn how to play pool as opposed to working in a restaurant at that time. Yeah. No, that's funny. He got yeah got busted for gambling and had to wash the pots. Mm-mm-mm. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. But it was my brother that actually told on me, too, because sometimes, you know, we had our competition between ourselves. And I felt like I was always better than my oldest brother, but he was better than I was playing the game. <laughs> and every time he would beat me, he would always pick on me and use the same, and I quote, he always says, I beat you, I beat you, but he rubs it in. Yeah. And so I wanted to I wanted to do something even better and I wanted to work harder. And I told my father and we had we sat down, we talked a little bit. And I remember when I guess I was close to eight years old. I was getting eight years old. Um and I wanted to be around my father at that time. So he says, Well since you're with me, um, I wanna teach you something else. So I learned how to do accounting. A bookkeeping work, if you will. We had those little logs with a green journal. I used to count all his pennies then lock them in the book. So that's how I became an accountant in my life also. But I love pool, and to this day. So it was just one of those things where people took time out with me in the community, helped me out. Um, Of course, it was helping my brother out even more, but I stayed back and I watched. And I was hungry. But my brother was older. He had an opportunity to travel with people at his age. And... They were back, my brother, at an early age. Now, here it is. I'm 10, 11 years old. I think it was about 12. So we had a gentleman that used to always take time out with my brother. And then somebody else took time out with me, and it grew. Um, but my father, you know, he was the kind of person that he wouldn't go anywhere unless he let us all go with him. There were just three boys at the time. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. Uh, my mother died when I was about three years old. And so it was always my father that was taking care of us and with right. my grandmother of course but you know it was always the thing every weekend we wanted to play pool because we lived with my grandmother so he was working the pool hall he would come get us to work with him on the weekend and my teachers in school would always know that we've been working in the pool hall because <laughs> we would fall asleep in class we really <laughs> fall asleep in class and the pool tables was our bed my father would all say you know you're tired go get on the pool table and go to sleep but then he would have to take us back to my grandmother's house, and in the morning when we go to school, my teacher got on about that. Though that was another story within itself. No, no what town? And by the way, what to, town was that in? Go ahead. Oh, that was in Sanford, Florida. But my okay. grandmother in the suburb, in the suburb of Sanford, there's a little small town called Midway. Um, that's where my grandmother lived at, and I guess you could say it's about ten miles. Yeah, about ten miles away from my father's house. And he would come get us every weekend. And, you know, it was just one of those things. Um, first through fifth grade, it was, a, it was a challenge. But I learned a lot. And um, mm-hmm. people just need to know that I played pool, but I saw also I took care of books. And I was uh, like a spelling bee champ from first through fifth grade. Um, but I did a lot. So you went from uh, from there to um, 
at some point, what, how old were you went into the military? Well, that's another story within itself, <clears throat> because, you know, being that I played pool, um, I think there was a certain age, uh, I don't know, 15, my father's pool hall burnt down. Um, yeah, he bought us a pool table. But anyway, my brother and I were good in that community, and so we used to work together. We used to go on the road and just play together. So my brother went to um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We were there working at a pool hall called um, uh, Oakland Recreation Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My brother got a job there first, and then I came there, and I started playing pool. And uh, I, while we was on the road, I was doing some hustling. And some things happened to where um, when you start hustling people, of course, quite naturally, if you're better than them, sometimes people try to get even with you. And that was one of those things. My brother had taken the time out to go in the Marines, so he challenged me to go in the Marines with him, you know, just like that. Um, but when he got out of boot camp, he says, you know, you're not, you're not good enough. You know, that's what he said to me. He said, it's too tough. I couldn't handle it. I think I was about 140 pounds at that time, but I was also a track star. But with that being said, um, I, I played a match with somebody, and I was gambling, and I didn't know somebody was following me, so somebody followed me. And they actually, um, some guys jumped me, had a few bruises to prove it, you know. Um, they got their money back, and I said, this is not the type of life I want. So when brother, my brother got out of boot camp, he came, he said, you know, I'm home. It was good. It's a challenge. And told me that it's too tough. I, I wouldn't be able to handle it. But I didn't, wanna, I didn't want street life anymore. So with that being said, 140 pounds, living in a one-bedroom apartment, and, you know, living from day to day like that, I decided to join the Marines. I tried to get one of my friends. So I was 18 years old uh, at the time. Yeah, I was 18. I went in and I signed up and joined the Marines. And mm -hmm. from that time on, um, 20 years later, over 20 years later, I made a career out of it. I'm proud that I went in at that time. Oh, thank you for your service, by the way. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's much appreciated. Much appreciated. So you, were you playing pool whilst in the Marines? Well, that yes, I was playing pool when I had time. Um, when we lived in the barracks, they had like a pool table in the barracks, and um, of course, you know, we lived. It's nothing like these these barracks they have now, like little apartments. These are open squad bay type barracks, and you know, it, they call it the rec room. So a lot of us would go in and play at night, and just to kill time. And that, that's where I spent a lot of my time in the barracks playing pool. Where somebody else said, "Well, come on, let's go out, let's go out." I said, "No, I'm gonna stick around here." Um, and where I picked the name of Okinawa Slim, because at that time everybody thought that was Japanese going forward, but I picked up the name Okinawa Slim in 1979. Um, I went, I went to Okinawa, Japan, and I was so bored. And when I say I was bored, meaning that I was homesick uh, because I didn't, there was no family. I didn't know anybody, didn't know how to speak the language. Right. Um, but then some of the, the guys that I was, some of the Marines that I was associated with, you know, they, they would go to an Air Force base. And we went to the Air Force base because it seemed like the food was better. And so we went to the rec center there. And ever since then, I fell in love. And then I found out they had monthly pool tournaments. So when we had time, when we were not working, you know, we would go to the rec center and play pool. 
And then they said they had a 14.1 pool tournament. So I said, well, it was on a Saturday. And I think the first tournament they had, because there was always a race to 50, and the first tournament they had, um, I entered it, and I won that for the very first pool tournament, 14.1. You know, and it was, you know, my first time. I ran 35 balls the first time. So I was just going through it. And then all of a sudden, um, I went back the next weekend or the next month and told them, I said, you know, this is pretty good. I like this. It's just a pastime away. I won the second tournament. I won the third tournament. And turned around, I, I won the fourth pool tournament. <laughs> then the newspaper people came by and they did a story on me. And they called me Okinawa Slim after four months. <laughs> Okinawa Slim, because I was a 140-pound kid. And uh, I won the, the fourth pool tournament at that time. And next thing you know, I seemed like I got a little bit of cocky and a little conceited. Yeah. But it was more confidence than anything because I was a Marine. So I told them, I said, you know what? I said, before the before I leave Japan, because Okinawa, Japan, because it's a one-year tour, I said, before I, I leave, I'm going to win a tournament every month. I'm going to beat everybody on the island. And so um, with that being said, I won 12 consecutive pool tournaments. So I extended, you know, another six months. So I won 16 consecutive pool tournaments, and they were straight pool tournaments, and I won all 16 of them. And um, from that point on, I had an opportunity to play the Okinawan champion. His name is Nakama Masanobu. He was the number one pool player on the island. I took over that title. And, you know, with that being said, don't think that because I was playing pool that I was um, giving up my military duties, but I wasn't. Right. It's just that that leisure time I needed to relax. That's where I spent my time at. I never got involved with the drinking and the drugs and the smoking cigarettes or anything like that, you know. I, I pay a lot of attention to my health at that time. What, um, and that's what I wanted to do. What, uh, you were in the military for 25 years, is that correct? Uh, uh, 20 years and four months. Okay, 20 years and four months. And, and what was your specialty, if, I'm, if I can ask that? You, you can. My first tour in the Marine Corps, um, I, was the, um, I worked for the 2nd Battalion, 6th Marine, at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, URA. And we were the French protege. I still have that. Um, and then after that, um, I got out of the mil- I got out of the Marines um, for less than ninety days, to be honest with you, because I was going to go into the Air Force. My father made the comment to me. He said, "You know, he said um, use your brain instead of your muscles, because uh, you know I really didn't have any muscles at one hundred and forty pounds, one hundred fifty <laughs> pounds almost. You know, so he said use your brain instead of your muscles." So I got out for 72 days, and, um, and 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 I was going to join the Air Force, but it just didn't feel right with some of the camaraderie that I had and working with my unit. Um, I decided that I wanted to go back in the Marines because if you go back in less than 90 days, you keep your rank, you know, like that. So I went back in and I joined the Marines, and I became an accountant within the Marines. But even though my specialty was accounting you're still a Marine and you're involved in everything else that sure. everybody else does. Yeah. Whatever your job title is, that's just your job title. That right. doesn't mean that you can't go out and fight like everybody else. But, you right. know, yeah. that's another story within itself. Right, right. You know, right. but I, I truly want to say this, and my hat goes off and, and blessings and prayers to my old unit, the 2nd Marine Division. Um, when I left 2nd Marine Division in um, 
and went to Okinawa, Japan in 1979. Um, that unit, that unit went to um, Beirut, um, and of course you already know about the Beirut bombing. But you know, I had lost some friends there, and so my hat off to them. And my blessings to me because every time she, hey, something's about ready to happen, the Lord seems to move me in another way. And I'll never forget to this day, my minister used to always say to me, "Say, make the Lord still have work for you to do." And I believe that to this day. And that's why you're here. So that's why you made mm-hmm. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, and um, it's been interesting too my career. Um, and I, 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 if I don't, if you don't mind, I like to thank my sponsor. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. You know. Because uh, I'll tell you right now, if it wasn't for, first of all, the Lord and um, Jim McDermott, bless his soul, and Marilyn McDermott, bless her soul, um, June of 1982, I was in Las Vegas, Nevada, for a tournament at the Union Plaza Hotel, and I ran into Jim McDermott. And, of course, when I was overseas, I got a brochure about his McDermott queue, and he said, well, if you ever see me, he said, make sure you see me if you're ever in the States. And, and I reminded him of that. And um, he shook my hand. This is the first time that I've ever, did, you know, did contract by shaking somebody's hand. Mm-hmm. But Jim McDermott and Marilyn, his wife, was there with me. And they treated me like family. You know, I didn't have to have for anything. When we were together, he was always feeding me. But anyway, he shook my hand and he said, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and sponsor you, you know, like that. And it was based on a handshake. Right. June of 1982. And then um, I met um, Sure Shot Glove Company. My shout out to them. Um, he introduced me to Sure Shot Glove Company. Sure Shot Glove. And um, with that being said, he said, well, Slim, here's a glove. He said, um, if I get them to sponsor you, would you wear that glove? I said, sure. I'll try it. Nobody else is wearing a glove. So June of 1982, that was my second sponsor. And I've been wearing the glove ever since. Um, but now that they have sold out, um, now I wear McDermott gloves right now. But Jim McDermott, McDermott family, I've been a part of their life um, all these years. And McDermott is the one, McDermott Q Manufacturers, one that uh, um, endorsed me and nominated me for the Hall of Fame. They did the write-up. Cool. Cool. And so my hat's off to the family and everybody that's part of McDermott Q. Awesome. Um, awesome. Those are good guys. When did, at what yeah. point did, um, at what point did you decide to go into the, the trick shot artistry? Well, I've been doing trick shots for a long time. Um, and the reason why I say it like that, because I've been watching, um, you know, Minnesota Fast. He had a few trick shots he does. Jimmy Karras, um, Willie Musconi. I always see them on television. Um, why World Sports? I used to always see them as I was growing up. And so what happened was, and this is a true story, um, I had an opportunity to, to meet Jimmy Karras. And I wanted to try to, you know, pretty awesome. much um, structure some trick shots. But Jimmy Karras took time out with me and showed me three trick shots. Every time I do an exhibition, I always pay my homage to Mr. Jimmy Karras. I always use those three trick shots in my exhibition. Um, we met each other in um, San Diego, California. At that time, he was working with Brunswick um, and um, Dave. What was his name? I can't remember the gentleman's name that owned the uh, Brunswick down in 
um, in San Diego, El Cajon. But we played pool at the um, at Billiard Tavern. Um, he came in. Um, he was supposed to do an exhibition, and he, he sat down and talked to me. So we had an opportunity to speak a little bit, which was good. And he said, because I was one of those guys that had my pool cue, and I would shoot really fast, a stroke real fast. He said, you don't have to shoot like that. But see, I got that from Luba Terror, by the way. That's another story with itself. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. But so, you know, I got into trick shots really officially in 1982 because of what he did. Because I remember I had to test it out. I was at the, um, the $200,000 uh, Miller Lite tournament in Caesar's Palace in 1983. And I think the floodlights went off, and I was on the table just looping off. And then somebody made the announcement that Okinawa Slim was going to do some trick shots for us. So I wound up using those same three trick shots that Jimmy Carey showed me, and I did that. And after I did those three trick shots, you know, the lights came back on. But, you know, I was doing trick shots way before that, but I was trying them, i put it that way. But structure-wise, and then I felt like there was a need, because I was playing in these pool tournaments. I won't tell my secret over this. (laughs) I won't tell my secret over the air like this, but (laughs) I, um, I I just sometimes, you know, Planning these tournaments, um, it's a good thing, um, and you can win tournaments and you can win money. But you know, when you start gambling, it's almost like you got to spot somebody all the time. You get tired of that. Yeah. Um, I just feel like there was no need for me to do that anymore, and um, and I felt like it was important to put on the show, and, and that's where I came in. That's where Minnesota Fats came in. Now, Minnesota Fast and I, we had an opportunity to speak with each other just as well. In fact, I had his personal number um, when I was in Illinois, Chicago, Illinois. And, you know, we had an opportunity to speak with each other. Um, I took a young kid that was 16, 17-year-old. We went to the McDermott Master in 1984, and I introduced him to Mr. Minnesota Fast. But, you know, he talked to me, and... I used to watch him on television and watch how he communicated with people in public. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he was to do an exhibition and he has 30 minutes to do an exhibition, you probably wouldn't see him do a trick shot. He'd be more talking than anything. Yeah. So he talked to me. He said, you know what, Slim? He said, you know what? You need to learn how to be a showman. Now, I'm not trying to be fat like him now. <laughs> but at that time, you know, because I don't put on a little weight and people still call me that. But, I put, you know, and we had an opportunity to talk. But one thing that people didn't know about Minnesota Fat that I did know, he was a community person just as well. Yeah. And if there was a little kid that I knew that was in the hospital, and, and as a Marine, uh, I was a recruiter in Chicago at that time, and I said, well, people would ask me, well, you know Minnesota Fat? I said, yes, I do. Sometimes they would test me out to see if I was telling the truth, and I would call him on the phone and talk to him, and he'd say, well, he said, what you want? You okay? You know, that's what he was saying to me. I said, yeah, I'm okay. I need a favor from him. He said, what you need? And um, he, I said, well, there's a young kid that's in the hospital. I said, is there any way that you can autograph a picture and send it to him? And, you know, how many do you need? Well, then everybody else thought, well, whoa, can I get one? Can I get one? So I told him, said five. Yeah. He said, five autograph pictures. And this kid that's in the ho- that was in the hospital, he was the son of my boss. And they didn't believe that I knew people like that, but sometimes people test you out. But I just want to say my hats off to Mr. Minnesota Fat. You know, I was kind of disappointed because, you know, when I found out he had passed away and I didn't know about it, you know, and right. that kind of hurt me just a little bit because I was being educated. So 
see, what I'm saying is people took time out from me to help me along my career and my journey. Yeah. And so, and then my hat's off to uh, Mr. Cicero Murphy. Um, he's the only African-American that's, being induct- that's inducted in the Hall of- D.C. Hall of Fame. And then my homage to my father because of the fact that he taught me so much as a role model. You know, he taught me so much. And um, I'm proud of that. So people take time out for me. That's the reason why I take time out for others. Right now, I have a program called the Billiard Awareness Month Program. And if you're working with kids, I try to help educate the kids, not only just in pool, but how to interact with people, how to build camaraderie, right. how to help build their character, help them out with social interacting. Because some people don't do that. Some of them just look at it and say, well, I said, wait a minute. I said, I don't smoke cigarettes. I said, I don't do drugs. I don't even curse. Is that something, your character that you want? And I talked to them like that. And so, you know, um, did, uh, last year I did a summer camp for a group of kids, um, eight-week summer camp, and the parents really loved it for what I was teaching them. And so it's a blessing to be able to give back to the community. And then I take time out for seniors because I know one day I'm going to be a senior, uh, you know, like that. And my father, I used to watch him every Sunday. He would take my my brothers and myself we would go sit on the porch with some seniors. And I used to always wonder why he was doing that because I would say he was going because we were going to get some lemonade when we sit on the porch. <laughs> but I did think that way. But no, he was. it was another reason why he was doing that. He was teaching us how to give back and take time out for people as a whole. Yeah. So I believe in that. You don't want me to keep talking because I'll I tell you, <laughs> I'm giving you my whole book right now. You know, the book that I'm working on. Because I started doing charity events, 
and I didn't want nobody to pay me anything. I want to go do some trick shots and help do fundraisers for these people that's out there in the community. And that's what I've been doing. And after that, they became a business. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Let, let me ask you a question. Who's who's in the uh, uh, for nomination with you for the Hall of Fame? Well, you want to know something? I really don't know that, to be honest with you, because mine was done by a form of a press release. And um, and mine was um, like last year, February, April of last year. Yeah, April of last year, it was a press release that was done, uh, and it was sent out worldwide. And that's the only one that I've seen. So I don't know who my competition is. And, and at this point, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, and I always love a challenge. Um, but I don't want to say anything yeah, that's going to hurt me either, but at the same time, you know, um, I, I'm very thankful that I was given the opportunity and somebody recognized me and said, well, you know what, you need to be in the Hall of Fame. So what we're going to do is that we're going to endorse you and, and then we're going to do it in a form of press release for the world and who you are that way. Cool. And then from that point, uh, there's usually somebody, there's more than one person usually, you know, yeah. up from uh-huh. the thing. Right. So, I, I just, yeah, I just wondered. Um, we are going to have to wrap it up. Uh, Slim, we appreciate you being on here. Uh, good luck with the Hall of Fame. Uh, you've got an interesting story, and uh, actually, uh, I, I'd like to know more about your book, uh how close are you to getting that done? Well, I'm working on a special project right now. That's dedic- the book and my special project is dedicated to my father. And um, I won't release the title yet. But prayfully, for 2017, the special project I'm working on is going to be completed. And the book is secondary. But what the project I'm working on is going to be a part of the book. Um, I have to get that part out of the way. I put the book on hold. Um, but Lord's willing, everything's going to take place this year. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you'll, you'll be privileged to it. You will definitely be privileged to it. Okay. I uh, appreciate it. Because um, you've got, obviously, you've got a lot more stories to tell. And uh, I'm, you know, I'd be intrigued to hear your story in, in more detail. Uh, you know, not just the, uh, abbreviated version that we've had today right. so, um mm-hmm. I, I know i know there's, st- there's still more that we haven't just haven't got time to to cover but right. uh, so I, I absolutely appreciate you being on uh good to hear your story and uh yeah do you have any more questions dave or no, I just, uh, again, I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Slim. I'm going to call you Mr. Slim. <laughs> Thanks, Slim, <laughs> for uh, for your service and for any time and every time that you've been out there trying to promote the sport in good ways. We appreciate that. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. And, Mark, you got some stories to tell of your own. You know, and I'd love to hear more stories about your, your road trips. And your white cafe yeah. restaurants have been looking for it, you know. But yeah, <laughs> the quest for the so, white castle. Yeah. This, this, yeah. Uh, this, so, this is a movie, something about somebody's trip to White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you probably got some stories hidden in there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, 
that's it for the Legends and Champions Report. Thanks to Dave and Slim for joining me. And uh, until next week, we will speak to you soon. Right, welcome back, everybody. And I am talking with Miss Melinda Bailey down in the great state of Texas. How are you doing, Melinda? I'm doing good. Hello, everybody. What's going on down south? Oh, well, you know, same old, same old, really. Yeah? <laughs> Enjoying some balmy yep. spring weather down there, are you? Yeah. Well, on the days that there's no active uh, <laughs> severe weather season, it, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There you go. Yes, it is. It is severe weather season, so we're pretty busy around here. Yeah, it's well. Yeah, we just get rain. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's, it's like the cold season, then the rain season, then the hot season, and then we just repeat yeah. and rinse and repeat. So you've got some blog writing that you'd like to share with us. What's the topic for this week? This week it's figure out misses right away. Mm. I uh, wrote about it my blog, Pulls a Journey. I wrote about it on uh, March 29th, which was just yesterday. And uh, what I shared with everyone was, uh, you know, when we, you start to play pool and you go to tournaments, you um, you don't really think about your matches too much. You know, you just go home or whatever. Mm. And then when your game gets a little better and you go to more tournaments, you uh, maybe think about uh, why you didn't play so well. Um you know, you're like, well, I practice real good, but why didn't I play well in my matches, you know? And then as you get better and better in pool and go to more and more tournaments, you start reflecting sooner. You know, at the at the end of the day, maybe you'll start thinking right. about what went wrong. Yeah. And then maybe at the, after a match or something, you'll start thinking about, you know, well, why was I missing? Why did I play bad sort of thing? And um, this kind of progresses through the, the pool journey that everyone has. And what I learned, and I wish I would have learned from day one <laughs> was um, not to wait until you're down six to zero or after the match to figure out what's going on. What you should do is as soon as you miss, try to figure out what's going on. Why are you missing? And there's usually, you know, there's usually a reason, you yeah. know, it's not, I know that sounds funny, but you're not just missing to miss. I mean, it's, you know, as your, as your pool game progresses, you can, you can analyze your, your game, and, and your fundamentals faster than you could maybe in the beginning that we weren't even thinking about. Sure. And so what I learned that's helped me win a lot more matches is to figure out why I miss right away until it's too late. Because mm. I've been so frustrated with after a match, I realize, oh, hell, I wasn't following through or I wasn't staying down or right. I was bothered by someone, you know. Yeah. So I really did win a lot more matches as soon as I miss a shot to figure out why. And for me, there's a lot of there's several key reasons. One, I'm either not looking at the object ball last. I'm either not staying down, following through. I'm either thinking about future consequences. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I win or lose, what this means. Right. Um, and then also the other thing is is not thinking three balls ahead. And so sometimes if I um, miss some tough shots, for for example. If I'm missing tough shots, usually that means I'm leaving myself tough shots, which means I'm not thinking three balls ahead, which means I'm not walking around the table, things like that. So as soon as I miss, that's what I'm doing. I'm not sitting there upset with myself. I'm not sitting there not thinking about anything. I'm thinking, what am I doing wrong? Because mm -hmm. the sooner you fix it, the sooner you can it's resolve it, it yeah. and focus more to win that match. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Now... Okay, so let me play the the scapegoat here. Um, I just Sweet. I just dogged it. I like playing the scapegoat. I, I just dogged a shot, 
and and now I mean, are you saying I should just alert first time I make a mistake, or uh, or is it after I notice a pattern, or is there some sort of uh, like instead of a pre-shot routine, is there a post-shot routine that I should look at and analyze? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would just be um, I would just be more aware of yourself and more aware that mm-hmm. you're missing the same type of shot or maybe you're missing more than usual or you're not getting out. I mean, everyone knows their own game. Okay. And so if you're the type of player that makes three balls in a row and all of a sudden you're not, you need to figure out why. Right. If you're the player that runs out and all of a sudden you're not, you know, you need to figure – the point is is really just to start thinking about it as soon as it happens instead of at the end of the match or yeah. when you're down, you know, or whatever. Because by the time you think you realize what's going on, sometimes it's too late and you can't recover. You're already down zero to six or something. True. So true. the sooner you do it, the better. Or, and it's hard to do. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not easy to, to reflect and think about why am I missing? Because usually we are sitting there going, damn, why? You know, you know, you know we're kind of <laughs> getting on to ourselves. Uh, right. But if, you, but if you take advantage of that, and instead of looking at it as, you know, darn it, I missed, to, okay, what's going on? Why am I missing? I don't normally miss, you know, or I don't normally miss a shot or, you know, whatever it is yeah. to try to just look at it as soon as you can. Analyze, analyze that. You know, and I think that that where, where, where that takes my, my train of thought is, okay, I missed a shot. It would seem natural for someone to be upset. Let's just say they were uh, frustrated or upset or, like you were said, thinking about the consequences down the line. Like, oh, I'm not getting knocked out of this bracket. Oh, my gosh. What am I, you know. Instead, right. and, In other words, the emotional part of missing right. sort of takes over instead of the analytical part where you're supposed to go, okay, why did that happen? Right. Make sure... Right. Go back to my because fundamentals. Of, Go ahead. Right. A lot of times, you know, we can play, let's say, in a race of seven. We can play five games, and we're not playing our best, and it takes us five games to figure out why, because we yeah. didn't think of the first couple misses what's going on. Because for me, like I said, for me, it's pretty simple. I should say, it shouldn't say simple, but, you know, I it's because I'm not staying down. Well, you know, then if I look, if I think about that sooner rather than later, I have a chance to come back and and start you know start playing well whereas if i wait too long to think of it it's 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 too late for me right yeah <laughs> you know the, you know i I'm, I'm about to lose you know and then you get frustrated with yourself of well damn i wish i would have thought about that sooner so yeah, yeah um yeah. that's what i do when i miss i i don't sit there and 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 think about anything else but why did i miss and just try to resolve it right away because it's usually something's off i'm thinking too much you know or right. I really am not walking around the table, you know, or something. Yeah. You know, it's something pretty it's something pretty obvious, but only if we think about it. And so that's the key is the key to really train yourself to do that. Um and it's taken me years. I mean, don't think that oh, I do this all the time, you know, and I did it right away. I mean, it literally took me years to okay, what's going on? What's mm-hmm. going on with me? And let's do it when it's one to one. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and that's why then, uh, some instructors will um, will stress a specific sort of routine, as it were. Uh, some people refer to it as a pre-shot routine and that sort of stuff. Not not that that is relevant to what you're saying. It's relevant because uh, 
if you are if your fundamentals or your routine it uh, are solid that's something where you expect uh you know something in each step to happen and there's a reliable uh say a list so to speak to look back and say what did i miss Mm-hmm. that's right. where the fundamentals can be important because it gives you an actual gauging of like, wait, I did this, but I didn't. Okay, wait, yeah, there's where I messed right. up. You know, I didn't do what I'm normally what it's supposed to do. And it, it is easy to get emotional with the pressure of the tournament going on, um, right. with everything else going like, on in the room. You know, it's got to be easy to get distracted and just like you say, you know, uh, you can't it's see the forest to the trees kind of thing, you know. Right. You're thinking about, well, if I win this, I'm going to have to play this person. If I lose, people are going to think this. And, well, you know, if I don't win, then how am I going to be in the rankings? And, I mean, there's a thousand things that we can think of. But if we're thinking about that, we're not playing pool. And so you can, you know, that's, yeah. you know, you need to think about pool and the balls in front of you the whole time. And, uh, you know, so if you're missing those balls, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because I've, I've lost a thousand matches over the years you know, when I was up and coming and, um, it didn't dawn on me till afterwards what was going on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, damn, you know, why didn't I think of that during, I mean, I still might've lost most of those matches, but yeah. it gives me a, definitely a better chance to win if I try to resolve what's going on yeah. as soon as I can. Sure enough. Sure enough. Um, maybe another way to put that is to keep your head in the game. You know, I don't well, know. you can, but I mean, that is a way to think of it, but I think it's more to be, I think self-awareness is what's, is what's key Yeah, to be very there you aware. Go. That's a because, better way to put you know, it. You can, because, you know, if you, if, if we think about it, which sounds funny, right? But if you, <laughs> being self-aware here, but if you think about it and you, you get down zero to five, sometimes you're not thinking about the misses. Sometimes you're upset that you're down. Sometimes you're upset that you right. missed the ball, right. but right. you're not thinking about why did I miss it? You know, what's going on that I can resolve right now instead like you said our emotions are taking over right and so if you if you get to the point where you are figuring out what's going on as soon as you miss like the very first like the, the very first time you miss you know you may not think about it and the second time you know you may not think about it well by the third game of the match maybe you know you finally like okay something's going on why am I doing this but it takes so much self-awareness and so much self-control and so much mental toughness to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it really does because I can play a whole match and not even think about why I missed the whole time. Whereas, right, right. You know, if, if I if I would have done that, I might have you know won. Well, yeah, it's easy enough by fixing what's going on. Yeah, it's easy enough to get caught up in just the strategy of the game that you're actually right. playing you know what i mean you're going to be sitting there looking at the pattern going okay if he makes that one i'm going to go to this one and that you know i'm like right. you were saying looking at shots ahead i'm thinking about anything other than okay wait did i get down far enough did i stay down far enough you know was my bridge right. solid you know but you're right that I, I think that would um I don't think that's a normal reaction for people to have, and it no. would be something that you would have to sort of train yourself to think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another example I just thought of is I've played a whole match, and one of my girlfriends will say, you know, you weren't staying down. I'm like, oh, God. You know, it's like... <laughs> now you tell oh, me. I wish I would. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's just, you know, if I would have figured... Because if, th- if I thought about it, you know, right? God, you're right. I wasn't staying down. But you don't... But I wasn't thinking about it. It, it, wouldn't yeah. even, it didn't even cross my mind that right. I should be thinking about what's going on and why am I playing bad. Instead, I'm just, 
it's just a domino effect. I just keep playing bad and playing bad or not winning and losing. And you know what I mean? In the match, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, I get down, I get down, I get down. And, you know, so your mind doesn't think, you know, well, what am I doing? Your mind is like, damn it, I'm losing. Why am I playing oh, that? Right. <laughs> or you might go off into the, oh, he's getting all the rolls or uh, this right. table stinks. The, the cloth is too fast. It's too slow, blah, blah, blah. You know, right. It is, e- it, it is easy to make excuses and to do anything. The hardest thing in the world is to, what do they call that, self-diagnose or whatever you call it. Right. You know, right. uh, look at what you're doing. You know, give it some thought. Right. That's, a, that's some sage advice and, there, Melinda. And some of it could be that you're too emotional. And yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, if you're, a, you know, I've lost a match and then realized, well, I was pissed off at something that happened, and that's why I couldn't play well, because I wasn't thinking well. Right. If you realize that, then you're like, okay, let's set that aside, let's think about this later, and let's focus at the task at hand. Mm-hmm. But again, you got to have that self-awareness. You have to, I mean, it's hard. Don't think I do it every time, but it's, it's hard. But if you can do it and you can implement it, you mm-hmm. will win more matches for yeah. sure. There you go. I got a good idea. I'm going to pin a note on my shirt. That's what I'm going to do. And touch it every time. Yeah, you know, or put a little, so, you know, uh, something on your chalk that says, what did you do wrong? So that when you grab it, you know. Well, you, you got to be positive now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't make it don't make it. Don't make it mean, huh? Like, oh, I screwed yeah. it up again. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thanks, right. Melinda. I appreciate you, uh, you sharing with us. Oh, anytime. I enjoy it very, very much so. Awesome. And thanks, guys, for joining us again this week. And we will see you again right here next week on American Billiard Radio. Bye, everybody.